fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. You know, I try not to be too demanding. I try not to ask for too much in life because it's hard. But today, I think I have what I at least imagine is a simple request for the media. A simple, basic request. I'm not going too far. I'm not asking for too much. But I would like you to at least try to explain why Trump's Baltimore comments were racist. I'm not asking you to convince me. I'm not asking you to come up with an airtight case. I'm not asking you to produce tapes that show Donald Trump talking about Baltimore in some racist way. I'm not asking for any of that. I'm not asking you for pictures of Donald Trump in a hood. I'm not asking you for him burning a cross on somebody's lawn. I'm asking you to at least attempt to explain why these comments are racist. Not just put it in the story and say Trump's racist tweets about Baltimore. I mean an actual attempt at explaining one time why these tweets and comments were racist. Because that has not even been attempted from what I've seen from the media this weekend. We're talking about an accusation of racism here. Okay, racism, we all know, really, really bad. We don't like it at all. Okay, it's one of the most serious accusations you can make about another person, right? It's like the the most serious thing you can say about someone this side of child molester. Okay, we're talking about racism. When you say that, you should probably have at least some sort of justification as to why. The nearest I can take from the media right now is, number one, Trump's comments were about Elijah Cummings, and Elijah Cummings is black. Well, that is not evidence of racism. Okay, number two, black people live in Baltimore. Not all black people, it's not 100% of black people live in Baltimore, and it's not 100% of the population is black, but there are some black people who live in Baltimore. So the fact that they have a black representative and there are some black people who live in Baltimore, apparently enough to conclude that Donald Trump is a racist. It's enough for us to conclude that this guy is one of the worst things we can all possibly imagine. In case you missed the troop, uh, the tweets that came from uh, you know late uh, this weekend, Elijah Cummings has been a brutal bully shouting and screaming at the great men and women of Border Patrol about conditions at the southern border, when actually... His Baltimore district is far worse and more dangerous. His district is considered the worst in the USA. Uh, Trump went on to say his uh, Cummings district is a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. If you're going to accuse someone of racism, it is on you. To give the evidence as to why it's racist. It's not on Trump to have to disprove your claim of racism. It's on you to have to prove it. When you accuse someone of what is essentially a crime in today's society, you have to be able to back it up with some level of evidence. So we're going to come by, come back and go through these comments step by step. I want to know, will the media even take the time to attempt to explain it? Because right now, they're just putting it in the headlines. Trump tweets racist things about Cummings. Trump tweets racist things about Baltimore. Why are they racist? 
Are you going to try to explain it? We're going to break this down in 60 seconds. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Identity theft is a real problem that can affect any American. Take Philip, for example. He's a LifeLock member, and Philip was about to purchase an $80,000 luxury car. But here's the thing. It wasn't Philip. It was a cyber criminal who purchased Philip's identity on the dark web and was attempting to make a purchase using Philip's name. This cyber criminal had Philip's email, social security number, home address, even created a fraudulent driver's license with all of his information. But little did the criminal know that Philip had purchased LifeLock. If Philip didn't have LifeLock, Philip would be out. He'd been left picking up the wreckage from fraudulent purchases all by himself. Now, nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can detect threats to your identity that you might miss if you're just monitoring your credit. So get LifeLock at LifeLock.com and call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK. That's promo code BECK for an extra 10% off your first year at LifeLock.com. It's Stu in for Glenn, who's on vacation this week. So, the case for racism in Donald Trump. What is it? Number one, I guess it's that Elijah Cummings is black. And whenever Trump criticizes someone who isn't white, the motivation is always assumed to be race. He can't criticize anyone else uh, without racism being the sort of core of it. And what's fascinating about that is we're essentially creating a standard in which a black congressperson cannot be criticized. That is an amazing superpower. If you're in Congress, man, you want that. Immunity by skin color. That is something that every congressperson could use. If you're a congressman and you can say whatever you want, you can do as good or as bad a job as you want, You can blow every assignment you have, but if you happen to be black, the president of the United States can't say anything bad about you because it's automatically race? Is that a standard you're comfortable with? I don't even understand. If you read the tweets, you go back and look at it. Donald Trump doesn't even allude to race in any of them. You are not only assuming his intent to be race, but also inserting race into the conversation where it didn't exist. At no point did he say anything about race. Is it racist simply because he used the word Baltimore? Or is that really where we are? I know it was racist if you brought up Chicago when Barack Obama was president. Now it's racist if you just say Baltimore? The country you live in is accepting that as a standard? Referencing a city is now racist? Is it racist because some of the residents of Baltimore are black? That's what makes it racist? Because some people who live there are black? This is completely insane. You do realize that. The media has come to this place where they have built this long-form sort of case over multiple years that Donald Trump is a racist. So therefore, 
they are now free to apply it to any story. They are free to say he is motivated by racism whenever they want. Of course, to engage in this sort of nonsense, you have to ignore something that everyone in America knows. Everyone who lives here knows the truth about what we're looking at here with Donald Trump and his tweets, which is Donald Trump says bad things about people who say bad things about him. That's what he does. This is not a freaking sixth sense type of plot twist. The guy, when he gets pissed off at you, says bad things about you. There, It is absolutely known. So if you are going to say something is racism, it is on you to explain why every time he has someone say something bad about him, he attacks them regardless of their race. It is up to you to explain and, and, and whittle this one out for us as to why when he attacks a person of color, you assume every single time it's race. Every time he does it to a white person, you just assign his motives to something else. But every time it's not a white person, you say it's race. That is not analysis, and it's certainly not journalism. I mean, it's one thing for Rachel Maddow to go on television and say, well, Donald Trump's a racist, and I think he's a racist because Baltimore has black people who live in it. I mean, that's not good analysis, but at least, at least it's someone giving an opinion. We're talking about journalists who are going on television and saying, you are not a good journalist if you don't say it's racist without any qualifiers. You can't say that there's racial tension around the comments. You can't say they're racially tinged. You have to say the man is a racist. You know it. You've journalistically discovered it. You have somehow been able to dive into this guy's brain. And despite the fact that he didn't reference race in any way, you are able to decipher that he is motivated solely by race. Some of these places that are saying this have very clear information to know that it's not true. For example, the New York Times has an actual running list of all of the people Donald Trump has insulted since he kind of got back into the swing of politics here. In the past few years, 598 individuals and organizations, which Donald Trump has insulted in some cases, dozens of times each. Why are so many of them white? This guy is the crappiest racist I've ever seen. He can't even figure out how to only insult black people. What do they all have in common? And what do they all have in common? They've all said bad things about Donald Trump. When you say something bad about Donald Trump, Donald Trump responds and he says bad things about you. I mean, just go through the A's of this list. Jim Acosta. White, right? I'm pretty sure he was white when Donald Trump called him crazy. General John Allen. Pretty sure he was white when Donald Trump said he failed badly. Anderson Cooper. Pretty sure he was white when he called him a waste. Michael Avenatti. Pretty sure he was white when he called him a total loser. But Stacey Abrams is in the A's too. 
he called her totally unqualified because she was black. This is what you have to believe. How about the letter O? Tim O'Brien, a white writer for Bloomberg, is dumb, really stupid, and dopey. I don't know. Maybe he didn't think he was white. The words he types are black, you know. How about Claire O'Connor at Forbes? Was she white when Trump called her a dummy? How about Danny O'Connor, who was, I think, running for Congress? When, was he white when he called him weak and a puppet? Pretty sure he was. Lawrence O'Donnell from MSNBC. Was he white when Donald Trump called him a fool, dopey, and one of the dumber people on television? Oh, yes, those were all white. But I can tell you this. When he insulted Elon Omar, that was racist. He only did that because she was black. Not because she's been out there calling him terrible names and accusing him of all sorts of terrible things for years. It's because she was black. These, this is nonsense. And they all must know it. Right? They all must know this. We're all wildly aware of these issues. Are we not? Donald Trump, when you're a jerk to Donald Trump, he's a jerk to you. When you're nice to Donald Trump, he's nice to you. Do we not know this? The guy, you know what would happen if if Elijah Cummings came out tomorrow and said, you know what, Donald Trump should be the next head uh, on, on Mount Rushmore because he's the greatest president that has ever lived. He would love Elijah Cummings. He would say great things about Elijah Cummings starting tomorrow if Elijah Cummings started saying nice things about him and he thought they were legitimate. He thought they... I don't even know if you need to say... You don't even know if you ha- they have to be believable. Elijah Cummings, if he reversed himself today, Donald Trump would reverse himself tomorrow. Guys, the guy... The guy did this with Kim Jong-un. He... He is saying currently nice things about a North Korean dictator. This is not rocket science. This is not elite level physics. When he says something bad about you, it's likely because you said something bad about him. It doesn't matter what color you are. It is nothing to do with race. Nothing. And if you're going to say, like, you look at the actual comments he made that don't have anything to do with race, you have to ask yourself, can the criticism be applied to, let's say, a white person? Can it? You know, if he says, oh, well, this is, uh, this, what did he say? Fil-? He said the state place was filthy. He said the place was um, dangerous. I mean, can that be applied? Can filthy be applied to a white person? First of all, I give you Pigpen, uh, who absolutely was white. And was filthy. And I don't mind saying it about Pigpen. His name indicates it. Unless you're a pig. And then it's, a, it's insulting to pigs. It's not insulting to Pigpen. Pigpen was white. But would Trump use filthy to describe a white person? Well, let me give you an example of that. Do you remember the red hen? Does the red hen pop up any memories to you? The Red Hen is a breakfast place, I think. It's some restaurant. 
And it's a restaurant that Sarah Huckabee Sanders went to. It's owned by a white person. And this white person doesn't like Donald Trump. And apparently some of the patrons there didn't like Donald Trump. And so when they saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders sitting down for some, you know, I don't know, pancakes or hummus or whatever the heck they were serving there, they decided to ask her to leave. It was kind of a minor controversy a few months ago. Of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was like, all right, fine, I don't want to eat here if you don't want to serve me. And she left. Donald Trump got wind of it. You know what he said? He said the Red Hen was a filthy establishment. It's owned by a white person, but it was still filthy. Why? Because Donald Trump felt that would be the best insult at that moment. He has no idea. He's probably never been to the Red Hen. He would probably never go to the Red Hen. He has no idea whether it's filthy or not. He just doesn't like the people because they don't like him. This is, this is not deep calculus. And everybody in the media knows it. It's got nothing to do with racism. But I just love how deep the media has to go to go after Trump in these situations. We'll go more into it here in about 60 seconds. Hold on. Warning. If you're buried in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies make you think you have to pay it all back. Because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Answers at 800-970-9159. If you're struggling to pay off your debt, do not let the credit card companies make you think you have to. Call Credit Answers now for free information on how to get out of debt faster than you ever thought possible, without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We offer a guarantee with no upfront fees, so there's no risk. For free information, visit creditanswers.com or call 800-970-9159. That's 800-970-9159. We're talking about the accusations of racism against Donald Trump when it comes to these tweets about Elijah Cummings in Baltimore. And a lot of one of the, a lot of the things you'll see is he's criticizing a majority black district. That's one of the big ones. They keep phrasing it that way. Now, look, it's 53 percent black. So, yes, technically it's a majority black uh, district. But, you know, there's very and there's, it's diverse population. There's people of all sorts in this particular district. It's some of it's urban. Some of it's not so urban. There's farms. There's inner cities. There's all sorts of things in this district. Uh, somehow Trump has actually found a way to get in trouble for criticizing minorities, though, when they're actually the majority in the district, which is kind of a, an interesting gymnastics trick there. But he's not criticizing the district. He's not criticizing the people of the district. He's criticizing the, in- the incredibly crappy job its representative has done representing it. And we should point out with Elijah Cummings, it's not his district. I hate that. I hate that wording. It's this sort of thing where we're putting this is governmental supremacy that is all in our heads for some reason. It's not his district. Cummings doesn't own the district. He works there. He works for the people there. The congressman does not own his district. And and I, I know that's kind of uh, linguistics there, but we keep turning politicians into kings and we need to stop that. 
But Trump isn't just some random white guy. Donald Trump, I know this is weird. I know he used to see him on the whole, you know, the reality shows and stuff, but he's the president of the United States. He's not just some old white guy that you don't like. I mean, it's just as much Donald Trump's district as it is Elijah Cummings' district. Donald Trump has responsibilities for the outcomes and the way it's run just like Elijah Cummings does. Elijah Cummings is obviously more local, but I mean, Donald Trump has talked a lot about changing things in the inner cities, and he's had uh, some really good results to uh, to argue there. I mean, we can talk about the economy and the way it's affected with uh, minority unemployment rates, which are at all-time lows. We talk about things like criminal justice reform, which were high priorities for, for many of these communities. But I don't think this is an argument that, that Elijah Cummings wants. He's been there for 20 years. Things have not gone well in those two decades. What is clear is that what Elijah Cummings is doing in this district is not helping. And what honestly, what the voters of the district are doing isn't helping either because they keep sending this guy back over and over and over again despite zero results. If you want to criticize voters for their decision-making process, that's a good place to start. You know, it's Sideshow Bob walking around in a field of rakes. Every place you step, another rake comes up and bashes you in the face. And they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Did you know, on average, it takes police 45 minutes to respond to a home security alarm? That's almost an hour. But it's not because the police are lazy or anything like that. It's because when a home security system is triggered, most of the time, it's a false alarm. And the call goes to the bottom of the 911 list. But not if you have Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe can visually confirm that a break in is happening and they let the police know. Only with Simply Safe. They protect every door, window, and room. There's no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. And the around the clock monitoring starts at $15 a month simply safe they've got a huge deal going on right now if you just go to simplysafe.com slash glenn and get a free hd security camera when you order that's a hundred dollar value you'll have eyes on your home 24 7 get your free hd security camera now at simplysafe.com slash glenn today that's simplysafe.com slash glenn it's Stu in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck program. We're talking about Baltimore and Donald Trump's tweets. How racist are they? And, of course, the part of the story, which is always fascinating to me, about how, uh, despite the fact that pretty much everyone acknowledges, uh, at least acknowledged until this weekend, that Baltimore had a real problem, uh, they just continue to keep voting people like Elijah Cummings in. And, you know, our system does allow for people to continually vote for their own destruction. That is something... Uh, our system does allow for that's democracy and it's the reason why we have a constitutional republic that is not completely dominated by democracy uh, because we are susceptible to making incredibly stupid decisions sometimes Uh, and that's something that we all have to think about and, and probably solve but many of these cities if you look at the records who's been running them and the results they've been uh, coming out with uh, the cities really need to be thinking about this and should examine their voting patterns. Uh, mm. Pat Gray mm. joins me from Pat Gray Unleash, the incredible program on Blaze Radio, television, and of course, podcast. Immediately precedes this one, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. Uh, so, you know, get up early and stay late. Uh, anyway, the 
the most racisty racist <laughs> who's ever raced. Yeah, is in office right now, mm. and he's he must be stopped. Thank you. I I find it incredible that they just dropped any form of journalistic uh, integrity by calling it just flat out racist. His racist when there's not a racist thing in his tweet. Show me what is blatantly racist that you can absolutely just flat out call racist. There's nothing. No. So that's a judgment call on the part. So they're not even using alleged, assumed, supposed, none of those words apply. I I do think, I think that's the most fascinating part of this to me. Mm Mm-hmm. In that, you know, because again, this isn't Lawrence O'Donnell. It's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rachel Maddow doing this. It's not only journalists doing it. They're actually like saying you're not a good journalist if you say racially tinged or wow. alleged racism. They're, they're, they're calling out journalists. It's like the tough guy thing. If you if you uh, if you can't funnel a beer, you're you're not you're not going to be in this fraternity. It's like if you don't call him racist with no qualifiers, you're not in our fraternity anymore. It's crazy. That's an amazing development. It is because they are just guessing at his motives. Guessing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's not like he hasn't tweeted about white people. He's just, he's an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and it's you know how many times has he called out others who were you know losers or dummies yeah. or whatever, exactly. and they are yeah. Many times, in many they cases. Are. Yeah, I mean, the New York Times has a running list. They have, as of I think the last time they updated it was last month, five hundred and ninety-eight individuals and organizations in which he's insulted. Some of them <laughs> dozens of times each. Jeez. And you go through it, and I did not count all five hundred ninety-eight because I have a little bit of a life. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to me, it seems like the overwhelming majority are white people. Oh, I think so. Uh, yeah, you know. Again, so. so is the, it's the same thing in the country. You'd expect it, but again, the opposition, right? He's he's almost exclusively tweeting about people who don't like him. Yeah. So a lot of them are Democrats. Did you did you see the Victor Blackwell from CNN uh, <laughs> comments? I, first of all, Victor Blackwell. Who who is the, this guy? Victor yeah, the, Blackwell. I have wow. never heard of this guy, and I guess he's got a show on CNN on the weekends, and he felt pretty strongly about it. Here's what he said. The president says about Congressman Cummings' district. Uh Uh-oh. He's fighting back the tears. Oh, man. Oh, bite that lip. Oh. Come on. That no human human. would want to live there. You know who did, Mr. President? I did. You? You did? From the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I left for college. Well, you didn't have any choice when you were brought home. a lot of people I care about still do. Mm -hmm. There are challenges, no doubt. Wait. But now but that he has a choice, now he has a choice, he's gone. I don't want to sound self-righteous. <laughs> okay, then don't. But people but get up too and late go for to that. work there. Yeah. They care for their families there. Nobody said that they didn't happen. They love their children yeah. who pledge allegiance no to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. Okay. They are oh. Americans, too. So who wants to live there? I do. Uh, the guy left that utopia the very second it was his choice. <laughs> the very second. As soon as he's out of high school, he gets the hell out of Baltimore <laughs> and doesn't look back. Come on. I mean, come on. The, the, the gymnastics they will go through. Oh, it's unbelievable, man. To criticize Trump. And, like, you know, to the point of they're like now saying basically. Baltimore is Disneyland. Oh, okay. In fact, it's actually better than Disneyland because they have a lot more mice. <laughs> right, because I mean, right. Disneyland, we only has the one big one. They've got millions. Glenn and I lived and worked there. 
in uh, 89 through 92. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we first got to town, our, the station set us down to do these publicity photos. And so we're looking for the place. This was before GPS, obviously. And we're looking for the place. And we go down this alley in Baltimore. And it's really one of those wide alleys. And, and uh, it's paved. And on every post is a sign that says, Warning rat infestation <laughs> which you already knew cuz you right. see all the squished rats uh, on the on the pavement mm-hmm. that car after car after car drove over why because baltimore is rat infested and has been for and a long time for a long at time. the time they estimated rats outnumbered people in Balt- in the inner baltimore area 20 Let's see, there were 20 million rats to 2 million people. So it was only a 10 to 1 ratio. <laughs> I mean, don't give them voting rights. I mean, geez, you'd have a rat president in, in, in moments. Did you also see that on the blaze they posted a woman who lives in the area and she went through the neighborhood showing you some, some, some of the garbage where, where some of these yeah. neighborhoods are subject to dumping and people just drive in and dump their garbage there. And, you know, there's mattresses and washing machines and, and I don't know, all manner of trash in everybody's yards and fields and abandoned row house buildings where there's been a tree growing inside of it that is now taller than the building. Mm. So this isn't something that happened overnight. No. It's, it's been going on for decades. And everybody knows everybody it. Everybody knows it. It also has the highest murder rate in the country of yep. large cities. It's second overall. Uh, second only to the mean streets of Helena, Montana, of course. <laughs> I don't think it's Helena. <laughs> but but, okay. yeah. <laughs> but, this but is- actually, second, I mean, it's 56 deaths, murders per 100,000 people. That is skyrocket high. Oh, yeah. It's very high. And it's been getting worse recently. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, the part when, when you say you were there 89 to 92, after that, it went through a little bit of a rebirth, right? Um, and kind of came back, yeah. and has, has gone. Unfortunately, has slipped the back down again. the other way. Well, they've been trying for a long time yeah. to make Baltimore nice. That's why they built the Inner Harbor, and I think spent I don't know one or two billion dollars on it. And that was in the eighties. That was a long time a long ago. Time ago. So they've been trying really hard, and there are nice spots. Yes, absolutely, there but, are. But we all. No, yeah. there are parts of Baltimore you do not want to let al- oh. visit, let alone live in. No we question. We all know it. I mean, The Wire was a series all about it. Uh, mm. We we are all 100% uh, you know, deep in the knowledge of the problems of Baltimore. Right. And yet Trump is so far in the heads of the media that they will actually come out and defend Baltimore like it's paradise. I know. Like it's basically a sandals. An all-inclusive place yeah. to just go and you swim up bar on every corner. That is not what Baltimore is. Sure isn't. It no. isn't. I mean, this is a city. I mean, even the Orioles suck. The Blue Jays mm-hmm. are going to lose 100 games this year and still finish 10 games ahead of the Orioles. That's how bad it is in Baltimore right now. <laughs> this is. I may, I may be going to, to sports just because I know football's <laughs> around the corner. And I know uh-huh. you're the only person around here. I usually have to sit in this room with Glenn. Yeah. And he's not excited. Less. Yeah. You're the only person I know who's actually excited. Oh, I'm so excited. About football returning. Yes. Uh, and I'm more uh, excited about that than I am rats in Baltimore. Really? Yes. That's a, mm-hmm. and, and again, how, what's the Oriole to rat numbers in Baltimore? <laughs> I got to believe. <laughs> like. And or the Ravens. Uh-huh. Like the, hundreds of com- thousands to one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just name them the rats and go for it. I think you do that. Um, I was fascinated by this. I know you're a big Peyton Manning fan. Mm-hmm. This story is fascinating to me. 
Um, it's a it's a it's a column written about uh, about Peyton Manning, and here's the title: Everybody loves Peyton Manning, but for how much longer? Uh oh. And it goes into okay, you know, Peyton Manning's the guy. He, everything he can go, he can be a sponsor of any product. People want him to every big broadcasting opening that comes up. He's always the first guy mentioned. Yeah. People talk about him. Tried to get him for, for senator, night football this for year. governor, yeah. for president. Right? Like this is yeah. Peyton Manning. He is that sort of profile. Here's the question, though, as the column reads. In a culture that seems hell-bent on savaging its icons, how long can it last? America's in full teardown mode right now. Nobody gets to skate on I was young and stupid or those are my beliefs. I stand by them anymore. Fair or not, and we all think of reputation-shattering overreach, even if we can't all agree exactly which reputations were unfairly shattered, that's the way the world is now. This isn't limited to either political party or ideology. Both sides want to claim their stars and demonize the other side. Manning has thrived because he has kept his beliefs tucked close. He is, to coin a phrase, sticking to sports. Still, we can rough out the edges of his ideology. Uh-oh. Number one. Mm-hmm. He's a frequent visitor to and possible member of Augusta National. No. So right there, this guy. Wait, he's a possible member of? We don't po- even we don't, know, we don't if know if he is he's a, a member. member. Huh. Now, I thought you, okay. you, the way that reads, you think he's going to say the KKK is right. going to be under that. But right. no, no, it's Augusta Something National. Worse. Augusta <laughs> National. It's a golf club. Wow. So we know he's a golfer. <laughs> okay. He's donated to Republican oh, figures. No, he hasn't. Including the uh-huh. recent presidential campaigns of Mitt Romney and Jeb Bush. Wow. Now, how much do you hate him? Mm. More recently. He's played golf with Donald Trump and spoken at Republican events. Bastard. Now, to say, this is an observation, <laughs> folks, not criticism. He's not, I don't think he's even trying to make the case that this should happen right. to Peyton Manning. Um, there's nothing wrong with Manning or anything else or anyone else voting the way they wish and associating with whomever they wish, of course. But you don't have to work hard to see how Manning, like everyone else who believes in something more than kicking back and watching Netflix, could end up in the middle of the us versus them kickball team picking that America has become. Returning to the public eye means surrendering control of your image. And Manning guards and nurtures his image as closely as any athlete ever has. If he steps back into the live uh, spotlight, he'll make sure to do it in a way that keeps everyone happy. Otherwise, he'll just keep doing what he's done for the past few years, showing us exactly what he wants us to see and nothing more. It's fascinating because they go into um, you know, the accusations from his time in college where a one woman said yeah, that he made sexually sort of uh, mm-hmm. su- suggestive jokes and gestures and may have had contact in some way. Right. And basically they're saying like, if he comes out and he starts, if he turns into an out Republican where he may be against him, he will then be, is it me too or yeah. whatever. And right. all of a sudden those things will become serious. Like, we're at a time now where even when you go your entire life trying to avoid being a figure in these sort of culture wars, they will suck you in Mm -hmm. sort of against your will. Oh, for sure. And that is a weird world to live in, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Especially for somebody so beloved as Peyton Manning. Is there anybody who doesn't like him? I don't know if I've run across anyone. I can't think of anybody. The guy was great at football, Hall of Fame career. Mm Mm-hmm. He's great at all these commercials. He's just seems to be fun. And the reason he didn't take the uh, the Monday Night Football gig was because he didn't want to analyze his own brother. He's just 
He's a great guy, seemingly. It does seem that way. Yeah. So why not destroy him? They, they will. They <laughs> that will is... try, especially since he's a Republican, apparently. Oh, no. Can't have that. Can't have that. That'll be bad. Do you think Peyton wants his Jeb Bush money back, though? You gotta, <laughs> you gotta believe. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. thrown some bad interception in his, in his life, but that's one <laughs> you definitely want back. All right, Pat Gray, I get the uh, podcast every day. And you're going to be joining me uh, this week, too, yes. right? We're going to be doing mm-hmm. some uh, tomorrow. Pat and Stew mm-hmm. here uh, for Glenn for the rest of the week. So we're excited about that as well. Get uh, the podcast at Pat Gray Unleashed and follow him on Twitter at, uh, at Pat Unleashed. Pat Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Follow me as well at World of Stew. The number is 888-727-BECK. Back with more in a second. It's Stu in for Glenn Beck. You can follow me on Twitter at World of Stu. I'll be filling in for Glenn on TV this week as well. Tonight we have an Elon Omar update, which is, of course... Uh, completely amazing as it always is with our friend Elon uh as my hometown's number one Mike Tyson's punch out player ranked number one uh, I feel the need to comment on the story because this is insane Fortnite the game that I guess everybody plays on their phone um had a uh one of these uh tournaments at Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium now this is the largest tennis stadium in all of tennis uh, it has a capacity of 10,000 more than Wimbledon. So we're talking 24,000. I've been there. It's where they play the finals of the U.S. Open. It's a huge stadium. They did a, a video game tournament there. The winner was a 16-year-old who won a $3 million grand prize for winning a video game tournament. I did not win $3 million for my Mike Tyson punch-out championship. Second place, and this I find almost... Uh, as amazing as these things go down. Second place was a 24-year-old who won 1.8 million. Third place won 1.2 million. Fourth place won 1.05 million. Fifth place $900,000. Every single person, by the way, the fifth place $900,000 was a 13-year-old. Every person in the tournament won at least $50,000. Holy crap, do I need to start playing more video games? I am in the wrong freaking industry. I gotta listen to Glenn Beck every day. I could just be sitting home playing games making this sort of cash. That's the path to financial freedom, folks. I'm D. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. There's a fascinating thing in the middle of going on in our culture and in the media. And we see it over and over and over again as it goes to uh, the president of the United States, Donald Trump. And it's a strange thing because I think conservatives typically are on the right path, but maybe don't have it exactly right. A lot of times I think of it this way, where I see the media say things about Donald Trump. And sometimes, look, there are things to criticize about Trump. Uh, That's totally fine. But it is this, the level that you go to, I think, tells a lot about who you are uh, and how hard you're trying to be fair, to be truthful, to be realistic. There are people who defend Donald Trump over every little thing, even when it's clear he's not right. And there's people who bash him for every little thing when when it's clear he is right. And there's no reason. I mean, are we not adults? Are we not Americans? Are we not men and women that can stand up for what we actually believe and say the truth? You're not going to bow to the media or the you know or or the king or whoever it is. That's is that who we are? 
Because if that's who we are, we've given up on what America is supposed to be. And I think there's this situation where the media in, in particular goes so far to try to come up with these mental gymnastics to figure out a way in which they disagree with Donald Trump that it becomes incredibly laughable. This is not a thing where it is a, a an understandable disagreement. It's not a thing where you could see one side and not the other. And I think conservatives a lot of times look at this and say media bias, which is there. It's blatantly there. Okay, there's always media bias against Republicans. It's particularly uh, high in the era of Donald Trump as we become more partisan. Uh, you know, uh, the media gets worse and worse, I think. But I really think there's a distinction between Trump coverage and Bush coverage and Reagan coverage and all of the rest in that there is surely the bias that exists, but there's also a different level of obsession. The media is obsessed with this man. Uh, they are absolutely, he dominates their thoughts 24 hours a day. No matter what story happens, they have to figure out a way to bring it back to Donald Trump doing something wrong. Donald Trump uh, is involved in the story, even when he's not. And they'll take completely non-controversial things and make them into controversies just so they can try to fire up. I don't know if it's the click machine. I'd like to, I'd like to think it was capitalist where they were just like, I, we need more clicks. Let's, let's tighten the coverage. But I honestly think it's more than that. I think they're just completely obsessed. There's like a, there's almost like a, a, a clinical illness going on here when it comes to how often they have to bring it back to something that Donald Trump has done. And so with this story about Baltimore, take the very non-controversial statement that Baltimore has some serious freaking problems. This is something as of Friday we all knew and understood. This was not a controversial statement. And because Donald Trump comes out and tweets about it, all of a sudden the media in real time remakes Baltimore into the happiest place on earth. It's basically, I mean, if it's not downtown Disney, I don't know what is. And again, I mean, think of the, you could mark the argument that Baltimore is much better because they have so many more mice than Disney does. They just got that one big one. Mickey's heading up the whole uh, operation there at Disney. They got millions and millions of rats for you in Baltimore. This is one of those things where, you know, look, Baltimore is not, it's not Elysium. It's not, it's not some paradise. It's not what it is. Does Baltimore have nice areas? Sure does. Does Baltimore have a great baseball stadium? Sure does. Does Baltimore have some great people? It sure does. But it has massive problems. The Wire was fiction, but not that much fiction. It's pretty close. One of the reasons why everyone loved The Wire and it got such great critical reviews all of those years was for its realism. There's real corruption in Baltimore. There's real crime in Baltimore. There is a lot of trash all over the place in Baltimore. There are a lot of rats all over in Baltimore. These are real things. Now, you can say that Donald Trump is wrong in his criticism, that he's criticizing Cummings. You can say that he is wrong... Uh, for, I mean, you know, the, a, an American president criticizing an American city like that. You can say you don't like the optics of that. That's, that's all on the table. But the, to act as if all of a sudden Baltimore is this wonderful place where there's no problems and no one can even understand what kind of credit, where is this guy coming from? 
This guy's criticizing like it's like 90210. I'm pretty sure that's where that was filmed. Right in downtown Baltimore. We love are you kidding me? Baltimore is basically paradise on earth. They will go to that level, discredit themselves that much to try to disagree with Trump for another news cycle. Let's get into the facts about what is going on in Baltimore from some of the very people who today are going crazy about Donald Trump's statements about the city. We'll do that in 60 seconds. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Man, I'm really excited to welcome a brand new sponsor to the show, Tacovis. I know how ridiculous a great pair of boots can cost. Tacovis makes great boots and accessories. They sell their boots directly to the customer, so their boots are half the price of anything that's even similar in quality. They're all handmade with a 200-step process with only the best materials. Their entire line honors the timeless traditional boot styles. No silly stitching or sequins or loud colors or anything else. These are just great boots like my grandfather would have worn. With Tacovis, there's no need to break them in. They arrive already ready to be worn immediately, comfortably. They're easy to order with tremendous customer service. Service Tacovis always has free shipping and free returns. Check out their boots and their clothing and accessories right now. Tacovis.com slash back. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash back. So we're talking about Baltimore. It's Stu for Glenn on the Glenn Beck program, by the way. Talking about Baltimore. Trump tweets about them, t- tweets about Cummings. He's called a racist. We went through all that last hour. If you want to go back and hear a real uh, breakdown as to why that criticism is ridiculous, I encourage you to look uh, at the podcast today. Get that wherever podcasts are sold for free. So Baltimore is known to have a few problems, has a few issues. Now, Baltimore, if you, if you follow baseball at all, you know the Orioles are absolutely horrible this year. But they have gone three for three. Their last three mayors have all resigned in disgrace. So that's pretty good. I mean, if you can go three for three in that category, what a wonderful achievement. The BBC had a report about poverty in America where they talked about 25% of Representative Cummings' district lives in poverty. A full quarter live in poverty. Baltimore City Schools rank among the lowest in the state of Maryland. In 2015, the Washington Post reported that the average life expectancy in some of the city's poorest neighborhoods is nearly 20 years below the national average. They say 14 Baltimore neighborhoods have lower life expectancies than North Korea. Eight are doing worse than Syria. Again, what do you think the Washington Post is saying about this uh, issue today? According to that deep, right-wing, hardcore conservative think tank known as Orkin Pest Control, Baltimore is one of the most rat-infested cities in America. Orkin uh, ranks Baltimore number six on the list, and all of the top ten most rat-infested cities are controlled by Democrats. 
The Baltimore Sun has been very critical of Trump's comments, lighting him up in in multiple op-eds. In April, they had a different story about what their city was dealing with. Is it a filthy mess, as Trump claims? They say food containers, balled-up clothes, paper, banana peels, plastic bags, and tons of other pieces of litter line the shoulders of roads, pile up in alleys, and are strewn across fields and yards. Not only is it unsightly and contributes to a rodent problem, but it can create a glum and gloomy feel. I wouldn't say it goes right into the tourist board advertisement, but uh, I think it's backing up what the president says and what, as of Friday, everyone in America knew about Baltimore. It's got its problems. Baltimore is deadlier than Chicago and Detroit. It has the highest homicide rate in the United States. Now, when it comes to violent crime, it is, it's only seventh, so it's not doing as well there. The homicide rate has been over 300 a year from 2015 to 2018. In 2017, it became the homicide capital of the United States. 56 murders per 100,000 people. That is high. It makes it 20, the 21st highest city in the world. It is below Juarez, Mexico. That is what we're talking about when it comes to competition. Juarez. Rats are so bad in the city that PBS aired a documentary called Rat Film. The name of the documentary is Rat Film. What do you want to talk about when you're talking, making your documentary about uh, Baltimore? I want to talk about the rats. Let's call it Rat Film. The Baltimore Sun, again, covered something called the perpetual trash problem. This is not new. Everyone in the media knows this is going on. And it's not just people in the media. It's the politicians who deal with Baltimore on a regular basis. Let's take a trip back uh, down memory lane a little bit. 2018. Uh, the Baltimore mayor, uh, Catherine Pugh, who, by the way, resigned in disgrace. She had a little bit of a, a, an issue when she was touring Baltimore and had some comments that I don't think uh, would disagree with Donald Trump's analysis of Baltimore. Listen. About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. <laughs> Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured in East Baltimore neighborhood. This a new one. I've been out here 54 years. This a new one. Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative is about taking steps to rid communities of the cornerstones that contribute to crime. Oh, my God. You can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings help to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. Now, I don't know. Maybe it was a barbecue going on. You smelled the dead animals. Maybe it was someone was cooking up some, some cheeseburgers. But my guess is it was dead rats. 
That's the mayor of Baltimore saying, we should just tear all of this down. I can smell all the dead rats. This is not something that's controversial. This is, this is not something that everyone... Everybody, as of Thursday and Friday of last week, admitted this was true. Everybody knew it. Including someone you'll see on the debate stage this week, Bernie Sanders. Now, Sanders today is out there saying the president is super-duper racist for saying bad things about Baltimore. I don't know how saying bad things about Baltimore is racist. I think it's because black people might live there. This is going to really be, you know, uh, now now again, Bernie's from Vermont, so maybe he's never lived in a place where other people that are black live, but they live all over. You can't criticize black people by criticizing a city because black people live in every city. That's I know this is controversial, Bernie. It's okay. African Americans live all over the place now. I know it wasn't like that in 1793 when you first got into Congress, but it's different now. Here's Bernie Sanders on Baltimore in 2015. But anyone who took the walk that we took, we took around this neighborhood would not think you're in a wealthy nation. You would think that you were in a third world country. Mm. But today what we're talking about is a community in which half of the people don't have jobs. We're talking Mm. about a community in which there are hundreds of buildings (laughs) that are uninhabitable. We're talking about a community where kids are unable to go to schools that are decent. that's Bernie Sanders. First of all, it's always, I, always, I always love those moments where someone says something really bad and people clap. We're talking about a community with uh, half the people not having jobs. Yeah. Yep. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Woo. That means half of them do. Uh, Bernie talking about the world as a third, uh, uh, Baltimore as a third world country. Not controversial then, despite the fact that they've had decades of local Democratic leadership. They were having a a Democratic mayor, a Democratic representative, and of course, at that point, a Democratic president of the United States late in his second term who apparently did very little to turn that around. We've seen now historic lows in African-American unemployment, but that's not important right now. This goes on. I mean, it's been going on for a very long time. Go back to 1989. This is... Uh, Maryland, I think State Senator Mike Miller in 1989, listen. It helps educate my constituents as to why Baltimore needs the economic help. I mean, Baltimore is a It's worse than in inner city Washington, D.C. It is uh, I hope you're not going to play this on tape. <laughs> I mean, it is, a, it is a war zone. I mean, it's crack. I mean, it's, you know, these mm. dime bags of PCP. I mean, you've got, we've, got to, we've got one quarter of every kid is not in school each day. 50% of the kids who start off in school don't graduate. So looking at things from a statewide perspective, we really have to do things to help. That's not controversial. That's just being honest. There's massive problems going on in a lot of these major cities. Baltimore is not immune. It's just been one of the worst performers. And look, the reason Donald Trump is criticizing Cummings and Baltimore has little to do with how crappy Baltimore is. He, if, it was a, if he had a fight with a guy in Chicago, he'd say it about Chicago. This is what Donald Trump does. He insults people who disagree with him. But he's right on the analysis here. Everybody knows it. Baltimore has had massive problems. 
that have piled up on top of each other because they keep electing the same people over and over and over and over again. And it will not change unless they do something different. But now we're supposed to sit back and all pretend as if this isn't the reality. I'm not going to do it. I don't think you're going to do it. And I expect more, or at least I require more. I don't know that I expect more, but I require more out of the media. I require more out of people who claim to be journalists than to fall into this nonsense every 10 seconds. Every time there's another freaking tweet out there, we have to go through the same exercise. It is embarrassing. Back in 60 seconds. Wi-Fi is spelled W-I-F-I. Unfortunately, for many people, it also spells TMI, as in too much information. Because Wi-Fi, whether public or right in your own home, even if it's password protected, isn't always private. Cyber criminals can use Wi-Fi to steal information that you send and receive while online, whether that's credit card numbers, account login information, or your social security number. To help put a stop to TMI on Wi-Fi, you need Norton Secure VPN. Norton Secure, a virtual private network. Norton Secure VPN starts at $3.33 a month with an annual subscription, so go to Norton.com slash VPN. That's Norton.com slash VPN. Don't let Wi-Fi, public, or in your home mean TMI. Get Norton Secure VPN ASAP. Protection starts at less than 4 bucks a month. Terms do apply. Norton.com slash VPN. Stewart for Glenn Beck here on the Glenn Beck program. Triple eight seven twenty seven Beck is the phone number. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, chief of staff, uh, on uh, television this weekend talking about these comments. Here's what he said: Well, you know, though, that this is a majority black district, and mm-hmm. when the president calls it rat infested, he says no human being would live there. Do you understand that that is offensive to the Americans who do live there? I understand that everything that Donald Trump says is offensive to some people. Keep in mind, uh, about two weeks ago, the president said things that were critical of AO see in her squad and was immediately accused of being a racist. A couple days later, Nancy Pelosi said some things critical of that same group of people, and she was defended by the media and by folks on the left for not being racist. When Donald Trump... No human being would want to live there. When Donald Trump attacks This is being perceived as racist. Do you understand why? I understand why, but that doesn't mean that it's racist. No, I don't. The president is pushing back against what he sees as wrong. It's how he's done in the past, and he'll continue to do in the future. So you think this is just hyperbolic? I absolutely do. And I hope the folks actually pay attention to it and realize what Democrats in Congress are doing. Instead of helping people back home, they're focusing on scandal in Washington, D.C., which is the exact opposite of what they said they would do when they ran for election in 2018. I mean, look, they know which video Donald Trump was referring to. In fact, we'll we'll go over that here in just a minute. Uh, The places featured in the video, no human being would want to live in. You know, a lot of people live in places they don't want to live in. That's not, that's not a surprise. It doesn't mean no one would live in any place in Baltimore or even any place in this district. They all know what video he was referring to, and it's, it's, it's a video that features some of the worst places in Baltimore. It's talking about the problem with the trash, with uh, the crime, with the corruption, 
with the burned out buildings, all of the bad things about Baltimore. It wasn't featuring the nice upscale neighborhoods, obviously, but the, everyone in the media knows this. And they act as if they don't. They act as if, oh, well, he means everybody in Baltimore shouldn't live in Baltimore. It is just ridiculous. Uh, we'll get into the details on this and what what is happening in the world of journalism where they've really just given up. They've given up even trying to be fair here, and it does everybody a disservice. You're listening to Glenn Beck. It's Stu in for Glenn on the Glenn Beck program. He's on vacation this week. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at World of Stu. Tonight on television, I'll be filling in as well. If you're a member of uh, The Blaze, go to blazetv.com. Uh, use the promo code Glenn and you can get 10% off. Uh, we're going to be doing a, an update on the fabulous love life of Ilan Omar. Apparently, she may be getting a divorce from her husband who she already divorced before and then lived with while they were divorced and she was married to some, to someone who many speculate might be her brother. It's not confusing at all. Uh, we'll get into it today. You can watch, by the way, Glenn's special from last week on YouTube right now. If you want to see kind of the, the background of the story, it is fascinating. And uh, it's, you know, certainly I don't care about Ilan Omar's love life, but there are a lot of actual legal and uh, uh, legal complications associated with this. And there's the idea that maybe she should have to answer for the potential crimes that she has committed. Uh, she's she's answered for a couple of them and admitted a couple of them and and paid some penance for that in the form of fines and other things. But there's a lot more to the story, and we're going to get into it more tonight on TV. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn, and the promo code is Glenn. I want to get into... Brian Stelter's commentary from this weekend. Now, Brian is a media uh, a media critic, basically. He's like the journalist of journalists. And he goes on you know, CNN and talks about how sound journalistic practices are. It's his job. And he has really been leading the charge, I would say, on the idea that journalists kind of aren't really journalists. Newspapers are not doing their duty if they don't just come out and say Donald Trump's racist tweets without qualifiers. If you say alleged racism, it's just not good enough for Brian. And I find it to be really fascinating, particularly in this case. I mean, if you go back to Elon Omar, for example, uh, you can say, all right, well, there's the send send them back thing. And some of the people who you know they were born here and, you know, maybe you could try, you know, you're again, you're guessing at his intent, right? I mean, you're still guessing at his intent to call him a racist, but at least you can try to put something together with this Baltimore story, man. I mean, he's just saying Baltimore has problems and Cummings is responsible. The fact that some people who live in Baltimore happen to be black and that Cummings himself happens to be black is not even part of the criticism. It's not even alluded to. It's just saying that there are major problems in a major city. We all know that there are major problems in Baltimore. Well, Brian Seltzer wants you to know there are six things going on with this Baltimore story. And I, there probably are six things, but I don't think it's this six things. Here's uh, Brian Seltzer on CNN this weekend. There are six things going on at the See, same I time. I want to tell you all six. All six. Number one, the mm -hmm. tweets are part of a pattern of racism displayed okay. by Trump for all several right. decades. Right. Number two, the <laughs> tweets are factually inaccurate in several ways. Mm. Number three, they are the result of Trump getting distorted information 
from his friends mm. at Fox News. Uh-oh. Those friends are actually doing him a disservice. Oh, no. Number four, the tweets are a petty response to Democratic petty. oversight of Trump mm-hmm. by Democrats like Cummings. What's number five? Number five, they are a distraction, distraction. from other important mm-hmm. issues. Right. Maybe Trump distracts on purpose. Maybe he doesn't do it on purpose. Either way, they're a distraction. Mm-hmm. But number six, number six, racist and ridiculous stereotyping of racist. a part of the country is damaging a to the country the as country. a whole. And that must be covered. And it must be covered that way, mm-hmm. even See? if it's distracting. Mm-hmm. Once again, every day, Trump posing challenges for the press. I think what media outlets should not do is just put Trump's hateful rants in the headline and then move on. That's just stenography. Instead, I think we should start somewhere else. We should start with what is true. And that's the he really outlines his theory pretty well there, right? The theory is you can't just do the news. If you do the news and you just say what Donald Trump said, and if you want to say he's wrong on this point, he's right on this point, you can do it. That's not enough. That's stenography. You're just copying and pasting, basically. What you need to do instead is form the opinion fully that Donald Trump is a racist and just say it as if Donald Trump said it himself. If, Do- if Donald Trump is carrying around a card that says, you know, he's a member of the KKK, which would be difficult. He'd probably have to change parties before doing it. But I think they'd let him in as a Democrat. If he did that, then you could maybe say the guy's racist. But here you're really just guessing. I mean, there's at no point does he even reference race in any of the tweets. You're assuming the reason why he thinks things are bad in Baltimore, which we all know is true, that the reason he believes that is because he thinks black people are responsible. Not one individual African-American uh, representative Cummings, who he is putting a lot of the blame on, but all black people because of their, the, the color of their skin. This is absurd. It's certainly not something that you can write down as a journalist and feel comfortable with. You are assuming the man's intent. Even if you believe it to be true, you should absolutely have qualifiers on it. And, you, and as a journalist, you probably shouldn't write it at all. If you're an opinion person, that's another story. So what I find really fascinating here is there's two parts of this. And they're trying to have it both ways in several instances. This is, it's, it's kind of interesting here. Let me give you Brian outlining point number one here. He's talking about uh, the Baltimore district, which Representative Cummings represents. And as he will tell you, Trump just doesn't know the facts about it. Listen. Let's start with the map of the actual 7th district. Now, I'm a Marylander, so I used to live nearby. I went up to school here in Towson. So this is the district uh, that Cummings represents. It includes farmlands in Baltimore and Howard County. It covers the Johns Hopkins University campus in Baltimore. It covers a lot of Baltimore, actually. It includes beautiful neighborhoods throughout the city. It also includes suburban areas like Ellicott City and Columbia. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also includes parts of Baltimore City that are struggling and have been struggling for a long time. Mm -hmm. Baltimore City is complicated. Some parts are well off. Some parts are struggling. There are pockets that feel absolutely abandoned. Once you've seen all of the 7th District, then it's time to report on what Trump said. He said on Twitter on Saturday, no human being would want to live here in this rodent-infested mess. He called the district disgusting and said that maybe Cummings should spend more time in that filthy place. He's saying, go back 
to where you live, even though Cummings sleeps there all the time. <laughs> Once you've addressed the tweets, uh, the big so questions weak. for newsrooms mm-hmm. are where did this come from? Who's telling Trump this stuff? How did he get this distorted impression of the 7th District? Okay, we'll get there in a second. So the idea here is that Trump is an idiot. He's uninformed on this story. He's blabbing about the 7th District. He doesn't know anything about it. Doesn't he realize that this district is not just these rundown areas? It's also uh, these farms and white people live there. Doesn't he even realize that? These are upscale neighborhoods. There's nice universities. There's beautiful areas all over Baltimore. This guy thinks it's all trash. No human being would want to live there. Of course, the problem with this analysis is if your point is that he's that it's it's diverse, it's upscale, there are white people who live there, apparently. Doesn't that hurt your claim that he's talking about race? If the if the area that we're talking about has all these diverse uh, populations, then doesn't that kind of hurt your argument? Now, you might say, well, I mean, you know, he is right, though. Stelter's right in that there are diverse things going on in this particular area. Well, yes, that's true. And, you know, does anyone think that Donald Trump thinks that no human being would want to live in a nice suburb? Does anybody believe that? Did anybody who actually is trying to think about this honestly think Donald Trump was talking about the nice suburbs? Do you think so? He he tends to build golf courses in nice suburbs. Why on earth would he think no human being wants to live in a nice suburb? I mean, he's saying no one would want to live here. He's not specific, though. I guess he calls out the district, but he says no one would want to live here. Well, I mean, maybe he was talking about a specific place inside the district. Maybe he was referring to a specific video that only outlined the negative parts, the parts with problems, because that's what the video was about. Now, you could excuse Brian Stelter for not knowing that he was talking about a very specific video. Well, the only problem with that is Brian Stelter's about to tell you he was talking about a specific video. Brian Stelter is about to outline specifically the video that Donald Trump saw and was tweeting about. He knows which one it was because he's about to criticize him for watching it. Listen. This is what was on Fox and Friends in the 6 a.m. hour on Saturday. There was this clip of Cummings questioning the Homeland Security Secretary about conditions at the border. Then Fox brought in a guest named Kimberly Clackick, Hmm. who went to impoverished parts of West Baltimore Hmm. and made videos of trashed lots and ruined row homes. Hmm. Fox called her a Republican strategist. They've called her that for more than a year now. But there is no evidence that she's ever been employed by a campaign. That's interesting. She did run for a local county GOP position and lost last year. So they call her a Republican strategist, maybe because she wrote right-wing blog posts for this website for a while. Then she started getting booked on TV again and again, again, as a so-called strategist on The Hill and on Fox and other shows. Her LinkedIn profile pointedly says she's a commentator, quote, not under contract, which means she's going on Fox for free. So... Earlier this month, she decided to take on Cummings by making web videos about Baltimore's rundown neighborhoods. But I tell you all this to explain here is where the president is getting his information. Clackett was booked on Fox again on Saturday. The president was watching. And then an hour later, he tweeted. So, of course, as you hear, 
Stelter knows he's actually tweeting about the rundown areas, right? No one would want to live there in a burned out row home, in a row, in a row home with rodents running around in it and trash filling it. Well, no, no one would want to live there. No human being would want to live there. We all know human beings like to live in the nice suburbs. Like Again, this is intentionally... He's intentionally showing that he's trying to avoid what is real. And that is what the biggest problem I have with the media here. I will say here, he points out for some reason over and over again that he that she was not a strategist and she was not paid. Um... I guess that's kind of true. I, I I don't know. I don't know her or know you know much about her. I will say that uh, it was interesting that in Tim Alberta's new book, uh, very clearly says that CNN contributor Anna Navarro never worked for an actual Republican campaign. At least that anyone. This is a quote: Anna Navarro of CNN, a Republican strategist who had strategized on behalf of no campaign that anyone could recall. So it's an interesting criticism coming from CNN there. But, you know, the criticism of Trump is that he's just tweeting whatever Fox News says. Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, Media Matters uh, has an actual employee whose job it is whenever Donald Trump tweets to figure out if they can see if Fox News ran a segment about that thing at a specific time so they could tie them together. That's a job in America. And I guess Trump gets credit for it, creating new jobs. But again, if the idea is that Donald Trump is a racist and is just looking at Fox News and just parroting whatever is on Fox News, you can say all those things. One issue you're going to have with that in this particular case is the person who said it on Fox News is black. So you have an African-American commentator who is criticizing the way Baltimore has been handled Uh, over the past few years, makes a statement, and I guess Donald Trump turns off the racism to understand what she says, and then parrots it on Twitter, and when he turns the racism back on, the mental gymnastics you'd have to have to actually believe this nonsense is it's beyond anything you've seen in the Olympics. And I think the the truth is that I don't think I don't think Brian actually does believe that. I don't think he does. I mean, it's just this constant thirst to find anything you can be critical of. I mean, there is plenty to be critical of, of Donald Trump, if you want to find real things. But to go to these lengths to criticize him of first uh, not understanding the district, which disproves your point on racism, not proves it, and then says he's quoting anything Fox News quotes uh, says, including from an African-American commentator in which he'd have to turn off his racism to accept and then turn it back on to tweet. I mean, there's just not a sensible line of thought that runs through this analysis. And this is all over the media. It's not just him. We have to find a way to go back to actually calling balls and strikes. Don't praise Donald Trump at every freaking turn, no matter what he does. Don't bash him at every turn, no matter what he does. There is a point of individual personal analysis, and we need to find it again. It's Stu in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck program. Uh, we all know Me Too allegations usually end careers, but not if you're if you could be an advocate for global warming just enough, you can usually get by them. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who has had multiple accusations uh, against him, is going to be okay. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. He was accused in one instance, and I just love I love this just because this ga- his game is so weird. He says he was examining a tattoo of a woman 
uh, who had a tattoo of the solar system, which stretches along her arm to her collarbone. And she said he followed the tattoo with his hand, putting it into her dress. He said he was looking for Pluto. This is the nerdiest sexual assault in history. And when asked about it, he said, while I don't explicitly remember searching for Pluto at the top of her shoulder, it is surely something I would have done in the situation. As we all know, I have professional history with the the demotion of Pluto, which had occurred officially just three years earlier. So whether people include it or not in their tattoos is of great interest to me. And this guy's walking away scot-free. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Stu in for Glenn here on the Glenn Beck Program. Glenn's on vacation this week. Uh, myself and Pat and the rest of the week. Uh, also, I'm going to be uh, hosting the television show this week. Please uh, check it out. It's at blazetv.com. You can use the promo code GLENN20 and check that out. You can also see uh, the Ilan Omar special from last week from Glenn. Uh, I know that's been going around quite a bit. You can check that out there as well. You'll save uh, 20% with that code GLENN20 at blazetv.com. Look, you know, these uh, these are investigations and, and topics that no one else is touching. So if you if you want more of these, if you want these things to continue, uh, if you want someone to look into these topics and actually invest resources in them, we do need your help, uh, to be honest with you. You know, this is a, it's a very competitive environment, as you know. And just to get these things on the air takes a lot. And so we really appreciate you if you're a subscriber. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, it really makes a big difference because, uh, honestly, without you, we're not going to be able to do this stuff. So thank you so much for uh, becoming a member at blazetv.com. We, uh, we have an interesting development, and, and this is one that's been many years in the making. There was a time, and I'm going to bring you back in history, to a time in which one of the two parties claimed to care about the budget now this i know it feels weird it feels like i'm bringing you back to a time where people had like members only jackets on and maybe people were you know at sock hops at their local high school no it's much more recent than that uh it was like 2010 and it was a big topic of uh, conversation i remember doing shows about it many times uh glenn's written books about it uh there is a a real problem with the way we spend money we do not have a revenue problem in this country there's plenty of money the question is what do we spend it on and how much of it is just basically being borrowed slash printed the tea party came along in 2010 and had the biggest wave election in history or at least about 100 years um, largely based on those sort of principles smaller government constitutional values uh, smaller uh, levels of, of spending smaller levels of debt and Somewhere in there, from somewhere between then and now, we lost our caring about these topics. We've lost our ability to manufacture a give a damn. You remember that whole thing? We used to care about these things, and we don't anymore. And they're not going away. They are getting worse and much, much more frightening. Because these are we're, what the numbers we're seeing now are worse than anything we saw during the Obama administration when it comes to debt and spending. And now there's no party to push back on it. Both sides are just kind of accepting it. These parties, uh, these numbers are much, much bigger. And to make matters worse, we're doing this in the middle of a really good economy. 
These are debt numbers we haven't seen, unless you're talking about like great recession type numbers. This is stuff that we're seeing on on on, on levels that are that have to terrify you if you look at them. And that's one of the reasons why we try to do as little looking at them as possible. Uh, but I can't help that. I mean, I, I do think it's an important thing. I thought it was important uh, in 2010 when the Tea Party thing was going on. I thought it was important when we launched this show back in 1998. I thought it was impro- important before then. The entire time, you know, this has been a, a problem that's been escalating. It's not going the other way around. It's not getting better. We just talk about it a lot less. And that's kind of a problem. We just signed a massive budget deal. But what does it mean? Is it really as bad? Is it, is it really as bad as I'm making it out to be? Because I don't want to sound all global warming on you. I don't want to be, I don't want to give you the, uh, you know, the, the sky is falling by in, in 18 months and we're all going to die. I mean, there's a way of looking at this and being very concerned, but seeing the real underlying issue. And I think we can do that. And we're going to at least attempt it. If I don't get too scared with Brian Riedel from the Manhattan Institute, he's going to be here in 60 seconds. This is the Glenn Beck program. Health concerns are a sad part of life. I mean, it seems like there's always something that either hurts or bothers us health-wise, right? Well, if that's you, you really need to see what CBD products can do for your health. CBD may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, but without the high. So it's 100% legal and requires no prescription from CBDistillery.com. The health testimonials are impressive. Like this customer who wrote, I highly recommend CBD to everyone. It's done a complete turnaround for me. Another customer wrote, CBD made a big difference in my health. Look, if you haven't tried CBD for that health concern, You should, but where you get CBD products is crucial. With independent lab tests and nearly a quarter million customers, you can trust CBDistillery.com. See what CBD can do for your health. Go to CBDistillery.com and enter RELIEF for 20% off. Again, enter RELIEF for 20% off at CBDistillery.com. CBDistillery.com. Brian Riedel is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he joins us now. I uh, wrote a story for National Review. New budget deal puts the final nail in the Tea Party coffin, which made me have a wonderful day the day I read it. Uh, thanks for the optimism. I appreciate that, Brian. Um, but you're completely right, right? We've completely given up as a, as a, I guess, as a conservative movement. We just seem to no longer care about debt or deficit. That's the conventional wisdom in Washington. You know, I'm, I've, I've lived in Washington 18 years, forgive me, um, and uh, I've I worked in the Senate for six years recently, and so I, I, I talk to a lot of lawmakers, and I, I know them very well, and the conventional wisdom in Washington is that you, the voters, the conservatives, no longer care about spending and deficits, and so why should they say, why should we put up with the angry media and the the angry liberals when conservatives don't really care. And as evidence that conservatives don't care, a lot of them generally cite, frankly, the election of Donald Trump. Uh, he, President Trump called himself the king of debt. He said he will not touch Social Security and Medicare. And in doing so, he defeated people like Ted Cruz, who ran on issues like less spending. So the lesson that was taken by lawmakers is, all right, if you guys don't care about, if you voters 
don't really care about spending and deficits, then we don't either. Hmm. And I, th- I think that is, I think they're reading that generally accurately. I mean, I think maybe people are more focused on, you know, whatever cultural issue is going on and, and this is a big problem and it never seems like to get, you know, all the effort we put into it during the Tea Party era, did we get anything out of it? I mean, you can kind of understand how people get there. Yeah, well, what, the challenge is a lot of the Tea Party movement, and this uh, was, was focused a lot on the stimulus and, and the Wall Street bailouts and to, and to then later Obamacare. Mm-hmm. The issue was eventually uh, much but not all of the stimulus expired. Uh, and the Wall Street bailouts were mostly paid back. So what happened is what was left was the real underlying driver of, 30, of the 30-year deficits, which is Social Security and Medicare. If you look at the, the numbers for the next 30 years, this is amazing. The Congressional Budget Office folk, uh, forecasts $80 trillion in new deficits over the next 30 years. <laughs> they say that Social Security and Medicare will run a $103 trillion shortfall, and the rest of the budget will run a $23 trillion surplus. <laughs> That's how they get to $80 trillion. That is an amazing so the, statistic. $103 trillion in deficits for Medicare and Social Security, but the rest of the budget, in, and I feel like this is not actually realistically how these things play out, is a $23 uh, trillion surplus to get to still $80 trillion in new debt in the next 30 years. That's amazing. Exactly, exactly. And the issue, I think, what a lot of people in Washington will say is, okay, once we got past the stimulus and, and, and the Wall Street bailouts, def- addressing the deficit means addressing Social Security and Medicare, and they've concluded that Republican voters do not want to reform Social Security and Medicare. Therefore, there's nothing left to do but spend. I mean, that is, I mean, it's, again, I can understand how they get there, uh, but that is an, it's an amazing thing to essentially admit. Let's, before we get back, and I, because I want to go over some of the the Tea Party stuff and and how we kind of got here, but can you guys walk us through the latest budget deal? Is it, I mean, is it something where we've completely abandoned all responsibility or is it worse than that? We've, we've abandoned all responsibility, mm-hmm. Stu. You know, the, the crown jewel of the Tea Party was the 2011 Budget Control Act. This lowered discretionary spending by $2.1 trillion over 10 years. Well, pretty much as soon as the ink was dry, they started weakening it. Uh, Republicans wanted more defense spending. Democrats wanted more non-defense spending. So they just kept raising the cap. Each, each two years, they would raise the caps more and more. Since 2014, they raised the caps by $770 billion. And this time around, they essentially just repealed the caps and went back to what discretionary spending would have been had there never even been a Budget Control Act. So when you think back to 2011, all that work, all the grand negotiations, the talk about defaulting on the debt limit with President Obama, they, they, did, they were, did all that work to get the Budget Control Act caps, and then they just ignored it. In terms of the cost moving forward, here's what's really scary. They're raising the caps by about $160 billion per year for two years. Mm-hmm. But the way it's scored, that's going to permanently raise the baseline, which means in two years, they're going to start from that higher level. Right. And therefore, according to the Congressional Budget Office, 
this is going to cost about $1.7 trillion over the next 10 years because they're just going to keep starting from the higher spending level every year going forward. So when you say how bad is this, it's that bad. That's really because every every dollar you spend is really ten dollars because it's there. There's no way anyone ever goes down from where they are. It's always an increase off of the most recent year. So each dollar you spend is another ten dollars over a decade, and that adds up really fast. That's exactly it. In two years, and, and that's why that's why one of the reasons we got this level is they raised the caps a couple of years ago. And then when they got to now, said, "Well, we're not going to go back down now. We raised the caps a couple of years ago. We're going to keep the we're going to keep raising them." And so you're, it's exactly it. So this is going to be 1.7 trillion dollars over 10 years because they're they're going to they're going to use the new higher level as their starting point next time around. Hmm. Um, now, when it comes to uh, spending this new money, at least some of this, in theory, you're getting something for. We're getting to a point now where the higher and higher percentage of the budget is just us paying interest on money we've already previously borrowed. Um, what is the how big? How much of the budget is uh, is just interest at this point, and how big does that get going forward? This is scary. Um, right now, it doesn't look bad. Right now, about. Uh, 10% of the budget is interest on the debt, which doesn't look that bad. Mm-hmm. It's projected uh, to triple in, in, in nominal dollar terms over the next decade, and as a percent of the budget, more than double to about 20%, of, to, to about 20% and then over the next couple decades, get to about 30%. Here's what's scary, though. All of these, all of these numbers I just mentioned assume interest rates stay at record lows. And the scary thing is, every point that interest rates go up will cost $13 trillion over the next 30 oh years. Oh, God. Or $1.5 trillion over the next decade. Every point. So if interest rates go up, let's say they return to 1990s levels, which we don't think of as being a particularly high interest rate era. Right. If, if interest rates return to 1990s levels, you add $4 trillion over the decade and $40 trillion over three decades because the debt is so big that even small movements in interest rates will bury us. So the numbers are bad as it is. In fact, even with low interest rates, interest becomes the biggest part of the budget within three decades, and that's with record low interest rates. If, they, if interest rates rise, we get buried. Mm. Um, you write in uh, National Review, uh, this is, I thought this was amazing, because you know you talk about how people don't care about these cuts and they don't actually want them. I mean, listen to, the, listen to this. This is amazing. A effort by conservative House Republicans in 2017 and 2018 to trim the growth rate of entitlement spending from 5.9% all the way to 5.8%. So again, we're not talking about actually cutting anything. We're cutting the increase from 59 to 5.8%. That was rejected. And a, a bill that was going to re, reduce unnecessary spending by 0.002% of the budget. Not 2%, not 0.2, not 0.02, but 0.002% of the budget. Even that was said to be, uh, there's just nothing left in the cupboard. We can't cut anything. I mean, these are, these are not exactly, uh, this is not austerity we're talking about here. These are very minor, minor changes. And I mean, it really does enforce that there is, it feels completely hopeless, Brian. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I start to wonder what, what exactly do Republicans come to Washington to do? I mean, if you can't even cut the growth rate of government from one-tenth of one percent, not cut spending, but just have it grow one-tenth of one percent at a slower annual rate, why are you even here? Mm. And, 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 and let me tell you how that relates to this bill. Uh, I did some math, and I, and I have been blasting this out to my friends in the House and Senate for the last couple days. We could pay for at least the first two years of these caps, not the $1.7 trillion over the decade, but the short-term $320 billion. We could pay for that by just cutting the growth rate of entitlements again by one-tenth of one percent. Mm. Basically, you know, like I said, from 5.9 to 5.8, that would actually pay for this bill. Members of Congress, the Republican Party, will not even cut the growth rate of entitlements from 5.9 to 5.8 percent in order to pay for the first two years of this bill. They will not even do that. It's incredible. All right, I want to ask you about. Uh, I want to ask you about your perspective on what the Tea Party actually was in just a, a second, because I think trying to figure out. I've struggled with this over the years, and I, I keep bouncing back and forth as to whether it was a real movement or whether it was just sort of a movement of convenience at that time. We're going to take a 60-second break and back with more uh, terrifying horror movie uh, about the budget in just 60 seconds. Warning. If you're buried in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies make you think you have to pay it all back. Because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Answers at 800-970-9159. If you're struggling to pay off your debt, do not let the credit card companies make you think you have to. Call Credit Answers now for free information on how to get out of debt faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We offer a guarantee with no upfront fees, so there's no risk. For free information, visit CreditAnswers.com or call 800-970-9159. That's 800-970-9159. Talking to Brian Riedel of the Manhattan Institute, uh, I want to get through a couple quick things here in our couple minutes remaining, if we could, Brian. The, mm-hmm. the, the Tea Party, do you think, and there's kind of a competing analysis here, um, is it when the, these focuses on spending, on government growth, was it one of those things where, you know, most people never really meant it as far as, you know, budget controls, but it was the closest weapon around. Someone broke in, they grabbed the lamp because it was the closest thing there. It was at the time, the thing everyone was talking about it, and the Tea Party used it to try to push back into power. Or was it one of those things where people really did mean it? They did connect with the Constitution, but they felt like they did everything right. They pushed as hard as they could, got nothing out of it, and have basically just kind of given up. Well, I think I, I could say I, I, w- I was there when the Tea Party started. Uh, at the time, I was running budget policy at the Heritage Foundation. A lot of the Tea Party uh, meetings would, would, would circulate my data. I think that it was legitimate concern about debt and deficit because there was such sticker shock 
about a, about the deficit rising to $1.4 trillion mm-hmm. in 2009. The challenge, I think, with the Tea Party is they were, there was a lot of concern about the deficit to the extent it was driven by the Wall Street bailouts, the stimulus, and Obamacare. And once we got past, some of those policies expired, or we weren't able to repeal Obamacare, and it, and, and, it, and it became that, well, the, actually much more of the deficit is, is based on policies that we benefit from, Social Security and Medicare primarily. That's when a lot of the Tea Partiers lost interest. So I think it was, you could say that it was kind of convenient that a lot of Tea Partiers were concerned about the deficit when it was based on what they considered programs they didn't benefit from. But when, once you got back to their own benefits, it kind of faded away. Additionally, some interest was lost just because the Republicans couldn't do that much to cut the deficit with President Obama in office. Right. Um, I mean, Paul Ryan, you know, people criticize him. He did everything he could, but as long as President Obama was in office, you can't repeal Obamacare. And I think that kind of led to some, you know, why are we bothering uh, views among Tea Partiers. Hmm. Um, one more thing here, if we could. How much time do we have left? Because I, I, I would love to... We're down to about a minute. Do you have uh, Do you have a couple minutes on the other side, Brian, or do you need to sure. do you need to run? Okay, because I I would love to ask you about particularly Kamala Harris's policy when it comes, <laughs> and, and it, for lack of a better term, quote unquote policy when it comes to her Medicare for all proposal, where she seems to be saying she wants all the stuff from Bernie Sanders' policy, but without any of the middle class tax increases which to my eye seems completely impossible, but I'd love to get someone who's a lot smarter than me to talk about that for a second. Um, we'll come back with Brian Riedel, uh, Riedel on the other side of the uh, other side of the break. Also, I believe we have uh, an appearance from Jeffy coming up as well, which is always a pleasure for no one. We'll get back in just a couple of minutes. Triple eight seven twenty seven. Beck is uh, the program uh, phone number, and I want to make sure that we don't leave you on such a depressing note. We'll come back and we'll be depressing about the Democrats and tell you how much worse they're going to be than what you already have. It's all that fun here on the Glenn Beck program. Back in a second. You're listening to Glenn Beck. It's doing for Glenn on the Glenn Beck program uh, this week. We've got a couple more debates. Everyone's really excited about them. I'm sure Brian Riedel is, is, is one of them. Uh, he's, by the way, Brian's a great follow on Twitter uh, at Brian underscore R-I-E-D-L. Uh, he's from the Manhattan Institute. And if you care about the budget, I, I know a lot of people in this audience really do care. Uh, he's a great follow and you get lots of uh, real information about it. Um, and one of the things that I'm fascinated about is this idea of Kamala Harris, who wants to give everyone all the bells and whistles that people like Bernie Sanders want to give. Give you the full socialist palette here. But she's not going to raise taxes on like anybody unless they make a billion dollars a year or more, is pretty much how I understand it. Can you get any sort of rational sense as to what she's claiming to be able to accomplish here? And can she pay for this program or even come close to it? Kamala Harris did something remarkable. She got the Bernie Sanders campaign to say that she's living in economic fantasy land. <laughs> that so is, when, wow. Even the Sanders campaign says you've gone <laughs> off into la-la land. You've accomplished something special. Um, 
You know, Medicare for all would cost, in the best case scenario, an additional $32 trillion over the decade. In a more realistic scenario, probably about $40 trillion. Let's just do the math. I mean, basically, that nearly doubles the size of the entire federal government. Because um, the, the entire federal government is projected to spend about nearly $50 trillion over the next decade. So you're, you're nearly doubling the government. Hmm. If you took every Democratic tax the rich proposal, the wealth tax, the 70% tax rates, higher capital gains, financial taxes, higher corporate taxes, higher estate taxes, they add up to at most $3 trillion. And that's using the left's own numbers that assume that, that these policies actually work, you know, that people keep working and paying the taxes. Even according to their own math, you could not pay for more than one-tenth of this program, even if you did every single tax the rich plan proposed by every single Democratic candidate. It is mathematically impossible to do what Kamala Harris is proposing. And, and this, was, this is what brings you back to what Bernie Sanders is saying in a, in, a, in a moment of honesty, I guess. The bottom line is you have to raise taxes massively on the middle class. It's not just rich people. It's not just executives. It's not just financial transactions. This is regular people making regular salaries, and their taxes are going to go through the roof to pay for this. You could confiscate 100% of the income of everyone earning $500,000 or more, and it wouldn't pay for Medicare for all. <laughs> I mean, like you can cut a hundred. I mean, and let's assume they all keep working. You know, like even right. if like you could, you confiscated a hundred percent of their income, it still wouldn't pay for this. Now the Sanders people have nothing to brag about because Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill um, actually has the revenue section as TBD. <laughs> we'll figure out the pay fors later. There, there actually is no no pay for section in the Sanders Medicare for All bill, the one that members of Congress keep saying we need to pass. Yeah. Sanders can't actually come up with the taxes either, but at least he admits that you can't increase spending by $32 trillion by taxing the 1%. I mean, this is, this is so comical that it, 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 it should be laughed at. And let me end in the actual padded room here for a moment, because Medicare for All is just what one tiny slice of the Green New Deal, uh, which I don't know what it has to do with being green at all, but I mean... Go beyond this, and when you get to the AOC sort of territory, I mean, this is almost an in, incalculable cost as to what they're actually proposing. Well, I mean, they have a universal basic income for everybody, um, free income for everyone, quote, not willing to work. No. They're going to rebuild and retrofit every house and building in America. <laughs> they're going to Re- they're going to take every place airplanes fly and replace it with high-speed rail. So imagine every place in America where there's a little bit of regional airport, we're going to instead spend billions on high-speed rail. We're going to replace every car in America that runs on gas. I mean, I have been scoring bills in Washington for 18 years. You can't even score this stuff. It's incalculable. I mean, there's, not, there's no way to even estimate how much would it cost to rebuild and retrofit every house and building in the country. I mean, essentially what they're saying is we should tear down the entire country and build a new one. <laughs> that is, you know, in many ways, that is exactly what they are saying. Uh, Brian Riedel, I am making, I'm starting a movement to get Brian Riedel as a moderator of a Democratic debate. I want this to happen. This would be entertaining. People would tune in for that. Uh, Brian Riedel, 
that would be fun. They would have to watch it, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to. I, I think they're asleep most of the time anyway. Uh, Brian Riedel, Manhattan Institute, uh, at Brian underscore Riedel, R-I-E-D-L on Twitter. Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, that's a fascinating uh, look at how bad the situation is. And, I, and again, like you get to the same point I think most people do as, as conservatives or Republicans. I don't like a lot of the spending stuff Republicans do, but it's a hell of a lot better than that, isn't it? I mean, it's a hell of a lot better than that. Jeff Fisher from the fabulous podcast. Uh, it's, I was going to say the Fisher Files. That's the old school one. That's uh, the old one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. Uh, it joins us now. Um, does this stuff scare you at all? Oh, look, they just want to spend everybody's money and re- remake the country. Why don't you want that, Stu? Yeah, I know. Just <laughs> tear down the country simple. and build a new one. Speaking of tearing down the country, though, can we kind of get by the, uh, what did Trump call uh, Baltimore, the uh, hellhole, progressive democratic <laughs> hellhole that it is? What's that? I forget what he said in his tweet. But uh, you mentioned The Wire, uh, oh, critically yeah. acclaimed on HBO yeah. for six or seven years. Did it paint uh, the picture of a wonderful suburb where everything runs perfectly and there's nice manicured lawns? Uh, no, it did not. No. It, it painted a, a picture of corruption and drug abuse in a city hellhole. Yeah. Uh, there was a show prior to that. Uh, on television that was critically acclaimed called Homicide Life on the Streets <laughs> that was based in Baltimore. Uh, the same thing. And it was also that was both shows were based on a book from a Baltimore Sun reporter called Homicide A Year on the Killing Streets. So, I mean, it's not like a big secret. Yeah. And the Baltimore Sun is one of the big, you know, newspapers coming out being critical of Trump and saying, like, you can't criticize us. What are you talking about? I mean, sure, we have a couple issues, but you shouldn't be talking about it. Let us talk about it. Right. Well, you know what? He's the president of the United States. I think talking about, uh, you know, a major city and its massive problems does fall under his purview. It does. And it's been, you know, look. Uh, Elijah Cummings has done such a great job in his uh, <laughs> 80 terms as uh, <laughs> as a congressman that, you know, somebody, I, can anything be done with it now? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess. I mean, you can't give up, I guess. No, but it's, but, it, it does feel, I mean, you know, Detroit is another thing. The Democrats are talking about Detroit, obviously, uh, this week. And, you know, you yeah. look at Detroit, it has had a, certain areas have come back fun, in, in a, in a funny, in a, in a hilarious development. A big part of the comeback of certain areas of Detroit has to do not with giant government programs, but rich white executives <laughs> dumping billions of dollars into a city that they love. That they earn because of capitalism. Kappa, capitalism. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's the word. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be covered uh, <laughs> this week. It's just agonizing now look some of the things that uh we can talk about today you know i like to do uh, a few headlines that i love the headlines but you don't want to delve into the story right i mean you just want to okay. live with the headline <laughs> don't don't bog me down with facts no more information just, you don't need here. any more than that like okay. the the study that says eating ice cream for breakfast helps improve mental health good I don't want to read You're anymore. Gonna... I don't want to know anymore. I just want to live with that headline. Right. Sounds good. It's, it's good. It's too good to check. <laughs> it is. It's just, I don't want to know it the is, information. No, not... Sure, the background probably says you'll die of something else, but your mental health is better. Yeah, yeah, no, and sure, the background it. says something about probably not, but don't, no, just go with the headline. Just read the headline don't and move on. The headline. Mm-hmm. We also have uh, health officials are warning McDonald's customers to get vaccinated amid uh, hepatitis outbreak in Arkansas. I don't want to know about it. Well, I don't live in Arkansas, thankfully. No, and, and there's, it doesn't have anything to do with McDonald's. And sure, McDonald's customers are firing guns 
at employees because they got an order of cold fries. Sure, that's happening. I don't want to know why. I don't want to know where it was. Pretty understandable a, on that one, though. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Okay. That's one of those I think everybody can understand. What, what movie was that? Was it Falling Down with um, yeah. uh, Michael, Michael Douglas, Douglas right? Yeah. Remember that? And yeah. I remember that was one of those things where he, he came up and wanted to get breakfast, and it was like two minutes after the breakfast deadline, yeah, and he just starts so threatening everyone. And it was one of those movies that's like, that's a, definitely a crime, but I, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, everyone's I'm for it. I'm rooting for him. Everyone's mm-hmm. for it. Just like uh, we're getting a petition now that I think I'm for. I'm almost for this petition that uh, wants to change the date of Halloween. Uh, they've got you know almost 100,000 signatures now. They want to change it to uh, the last Saturday in October instead of October 31st. Um, I think okay. I could be for that. That's uh, interesting. I, I think I could be for that. You know, they want obviously the you know the people that are starting the petition are you know hawking their Halloween wares and want people to buy all their Halloween stuff. But I kind of like the idea of it being on the last Saturday of the month. And yeah, not just in the middle of the week, whenever October thirty first falls in. Yeah, having kids too. I mean, you, you that is a that is a nice that would be a nice little change. Yeah, I don't uh, like I, even I, with even with or without kids. I mean, I don't like going out during the week. I'd rather do it on Saturday. You are the creepy guy that shows up at everybody's door begging for candy, aren't you? I, I, I am. I will say this as uh, someone who I have a six uh, and a seven year old kid uh, and they, um, they go out trick or treating every year. And the decrease in the percentage of or the the amount of kids that are out on the streets trick or treating from when I remember going out as a kid. I mean, it's got to be 70 percent less people. I mean, it I does, it does seem, it less. seems like it's way less. Now I know they have more of these events like the trunk or yeah, treat thing. And, and maybe that's where kids go now more often. But I mean, I want to take them out old school trick or treating. You're walking door to door. I want you tired. I want that bag on your shoulder. I want you to, to by the end of it, like you're passed out in a candy coma. Like I want that whole experience. Plus I've raised my children on how to get more candy than all the other children. If you want really? to talk about Halloween, Do you have secret some- to Halloween now. I hate to say this on the air, man, because it gives up. This is a, this is a good plan. Okay, this works every, works every every time. All right, you always bring an extra bag as a parent, okay, to carry. So when your kids go up to trick or treat and they have a little bit of candy, oh, did you guys just get started? And they give you more. So when your kids come back to the sidewalk, <laughs> you take the candy and put it in your bag. So the kid only has a little bit in theirs. So every door they go to uh, is trick or treat. Oh, did you guys get just get started? And they give you more. That is brilliant on multiple <laughs> levels. Because first of all, you're, of course, conning people into extra candy. No, no I'm just helping my children. So they don't have to carry such, such a weight of candy, Stu. Sure. And the second part of that is you've now apprehended all of your child's candy. Like so that. now you can just sit there and eat your fill while they think they're getting extra and they come back and they're like, that's actually less than I got last year. That's a shame. That's a shame. Kids. It's, it's, it's a sad outcome. I will say uh, the, the best Halloween costume I ever had when I was a kid was uh, a three headed skeleton. Oh, so nice. my head is the middle skeleton right. and then the two on the shoulders are inflatable skeletons. Okay. So it's a three headed skeleton. And that doesn't sound like any amazing, um, uh, you know, costume until you walk up and you're with someone who's dressed in some other costume. They give them one candy bar and they say, hey, you got three heads. I guess I got to give you three. And they do. Right in front of the other people. (laughs) It's amazing. This is a a sort of innovation. That's a good plan. I I mean... It's wonder how we're both overweight. Strange. All right, uh, Jeffy, uh, you can get uh, Chewing the Fat wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and you're going to be joining us uh, all week with Pat Great. as well. Absolutely. That'd love to have the Chewing the Fat segment. And, uh, you know, it'll be fun.
Sounds good. All right, Jeffy, thanks. And we're back in just a second. You ever get to that point where you think the world can't get any stranger? Well, let me tell you the story of Carissa Pinkston. Carissa is a model, and she has apparently been wrapped up in a new controversy. When people found comments on her social media that she was not allowed to make, she said, being transgender does not make you a woman. It makes you simply transgendered. She got uh, a bunch of uh, pushback on that comment on Facebook, and she responded. She said, I really do want to take back my trans comment because if they can say they're women, I can reclaim my virginity. She went on and said, look, the, you know, gender, it's just science. Well, she got in trouble for that, and the comments came to light, and because of them, Pinkston was fired. Now, this is a very... A story you're totally used to at this point, right? Someone comes out, says something critical against the things that you're supposed to say and gets fired. Totally a normal story in 2019 America. However, this one takes a couple uh, twists. When she goes on, she finds out she gets fired. She goes on Instagram and says, I wasn't ready to come out about it yet, but I got fired and I've been receiving hate mail and death threats ever since I've been forced to. So I've been forced to tell the truth. I am transgendered. I transitioned at a very young age, and I've lived my life as a female ever since. It's been very hard to keep this secret, but what I said about trans women is a direct reflection of my inner, uh, in, inner securities and have since come to realize that I am a woman. We all are. Now, that's a twist, right? She comes out. She's critical of, being tra- of, of transgendered people. Then it fi- turns out she is transgendered. Now we go all M. Night Shyamalan on you. Why? Because this weekend, the same model comes out and says this. I apologize for any transphobic remark I've made towards the trans community. I panicked and thought if I came out as trans that I could somehow make things better for myself, but it appears I've only made things worse. I'm truly sorry. I am 20 and I'm a human, and apparently a human woman from birth. I make mistakes, but I refuse to let them define me. I hope you can all forgive me and move on because I'm I'm so much more than this incident and I'm not a coward. Well... I mean, I don't even know. I feel like even M. Knight would, would stop one twist short of where that one came to a halt. So she was, just to keep track, she was not transgendered. She just faked being transgendered to try to get out of her transgender controversy. Simple, simple You're as You're listening to Glenn Beck.